This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property. It's uh, good to be back. I've been away with a little bit of COVID as many people have and so if I'm a little bit croaky that's just the way things go but as per normal we're going to talk about the what's circulating in the news of real estate, what relates to us in this area and also a little bit further afield. So we've got a bit of a mixed bag today. Uh, working from home means that things may be slightly out of order. I normally like to go local, uh, national and then a little bit of international but we're going to have a little bit of a sprinkling of everything this week and just see how things go. One of the first things that have been in the news are uh, the around rental properties and privacy rules for rental properties. And this is to do with people who are applying for properties. And so the Privacy, Privacy Commissioner has or they're going to do mystery shopping spot checks to determine how well landlords are complying with new rules for the collection of tenants' information. Uh, The collection and storage of tenants' personal information has always been subject to the Privacy Act, but in recent years, complaints about what what was being asked of people applying for tenancies increased. The existence of bad tenant lists on websites and social media also raised concerns about what was being done with tenants' information. That led the Office of the Privacy Commissioner to investigate and in November it launched a new compliance monitoring program and guidance on appropriate information gathering for landlords and property managers. Acting Privacy Commissioner Liz McPherson said her office had been working with the industry to help participants comply with the guidance but from March 1st it had started checking on how landlords were operating. So they're beginning with the biggest private sector rental companies, which covered large parts of the market. And the Commission was encouraged by the way many had used the guideline to improve their service, she said. But we're considering carrying out the mystery shopper activities that will spot check the property managers and check that landlords are asking for the right information at the right time in a responsible way. So there is now a two-stage approach for collecting tenants' information, or at least that's what's recommended. So landlords should only collect the minimum amount of personal information required to rent the property. Information held about tenants must be kept secure and only people authorised to do so so should have access to it. Remember, the less information held, the less risk there is of sensitive information being lost or misused. She says there are no excuses for over-collection and unauthorised use of personal information and the monitoring programme was to ensure industry practice was changing to reflect that, she said. If a landlord or rental agency failed to comply, it could result in warning letters, compliance notices, referral to the Human Rights Review Tribunal, and if non-compliance continued, a fine of up to $10,000 was possible. Real Estate Institute Head of Property Management Joe Ray said the Institute supported the clarification of the rules and the surrounding guidance, but she was concerned it might not have reached everyone. 
While there had been a lot of education around it in the profession, some smaller property management companies and some self-managing landlords might have slipped through the cracks, she said. Many tenants, especially first-timers, are not aware of what information they need to provide an application and unfortunately they give more than they need to. Because of the shortage of housing, many will give up all the information they can to get a better shot at a rental, but initially tenants only need to provide basic details to get a viewing and unless they're shortlisted as a preferred applicant, nothing more is required. According to the article, viewings could attract as many as 70 applicants and the responsibilities involved with securely storing personal information for that many applicants is daunting. Uh, the risks are high, but many people are unaware of what, what they're unaware of and will keep doing things the way they always have, and that could come back to bite them. Will Alexander, the chief executive of tenancy application software Renty, said his company had to revamp its entire system to ensure it complied with the rules as laid out in the guidance. The purpose and intent of the changes would benefit and better protect tenants' personal information, but the application process would be vastly different for tenants, landlords and property managers, he said. So tenants applying for rental properties uh, is a big change. So paper applications are likely to become collateral damage as the information is harder to store safely, especially if provided in two stages. The idea of the two stages is uh, basic information initially, then if the people are accepted, uh, to provide more information is my understanding. So we'll see where that goes. And uh, there are guidelines online uh, by the Privacy Commission uh, around this. So what's happening with the market? Uh, There's quite a few articles about the real estate sales market that have come out in the last week. You may be aware that uh, many articles are talking about that the property market has peaked or may drop. And just by way of reminder, often they are talking about um, the Auckland market or the larger cities when they talk about this. But in this article, it says, I'm not paying that. ANZ economists expect a 10% house price drop. Now, bearing in mind that in many places, prices have been going up by 20 to 30% a year, a 10% house price drop is nowhere near as dramatic as it sounds. It does make for a good headline, though. So according to this article and stuff, risks for the housing market are increasing as buyer sentiment evolves from the fear of missing out to I'm not paying that, ANZ economists are warning. The bank has downgraded its house price outlook to a 10% decline this year from January's forecast of a 7% fall. ANZ's economist said the market slowdown had continued broadly in line with its expectations, with prices down nationwide for a third consecutive month in February. This took the year-on-year price increase to 18.7% from the cycle peak of 30.4%. But key indicators of forward momentum, which included lower sales volumes, rising listings and a sharp drop in Auckland clearance, uh, auction clearances, suggested more slowing was to come, according to the bank's chief economist, Sarah Zollner. She says some of it might be Omicron disruption, but we suspect the majority of it represents a fundamental shift in the market. So we have to see where, where things are going there. Um, there's a number of factors involving or... Contributing to this, there's inflation pressures intensifying. Uh, the official cash rate might might reach, according to ANZ, a high of 3.5% by April of 2023. Also, a higher interest rate outlook means stronger headwinds for the market. And while price, prices nationwide had fallen 2.6% since November, there was still more weakness to come, she says. And that's where they've come to this idea that they feel that the prices may fall 10% in the year to December 2022. Again, uh, not a 
huge problem unless you've bought a house and have to sell quickly. So buyer sentiment might have changed from the heights of last year's boom, but economist Tony Alexander's latest survey of mortgage advisors showed the extent to which first-home buyers were withdrawing from the market had eased. A net 20% of respondents reported they were seeing fewer first-home buyers in March compared with a net 52% fewer uh, the month before. So things did slow down initially upon um, the number of changes that the government had made to make it more difficult for people to buy into property. So in related news, I guess in a way, was this article uh, by ASB that says household costs will jump $150 a week this year. So the ASB says that this will, or households will spend an extra $150 per week on average on their living costs this year as rising costs put pressure on. Economist Mark Smith said the cost increases were escalating and becoming increasingly widespread. In aggregate, household costs were expected to increase 7% this year or $15 billion. He predicts inflation will, will remain elevated at about 6% through 2022. Increases in household costs were more pronounced in essentials like food, fuel and shelter rather than in luxury spending, he says. Further volatility lies ahead, but we expect consumer prices to continue to ratchet higher, with debt servicing costs sharply increasing, that's for example interest rates rising, and both will place household budgets under pressure. He said the impact would be uneven. Rising interest rates would mean more pressure on highly indebted households. Households have on average $170,000 in mortgage debt per dwelling, but that load is not evenly spread. Uh, Two-thirds of the homes are own-occupied and about half those have a mortgage. So some households could have bigger cost increases, particularly those with large debt they need to refinance. Some could see less, but if they don't have a mortgage or if they have a smaller household size. So that's uh, certainly not good news that um, just the day-to-day household costs are likely to go up $150 a week, according to ASB. Now these are predictions, but um, that's fine. So that does lead to this article by Susan Edmonds on Stuff saying, just bought a house, here's what you need to know about falling prices. So it says, if you've, been, if you've bought a house in the last 12 months, you might have been watching recent property market news through your fingers. In the past uh, couple of days when this article was written, we've had news that the median Auckland sale price has dropped 19% from its peak, and that the economists at ANZ, the country's biggest bank, have revised their forecast for house price falls to a 10% drop, as I talked about earlier. The pressure goes on as interest rates rise and Infometrics chief forecaster Gareth Kiernan says with a one-year home loan rate of 3.8%, the size of the mortgage a house buyer could service is 16% smaller than it was when the rate was 2.2%. But if the rate got to 5.5%, the size of a service or mortgage would be 29% less. So the buyer's ability to pay such high prices is significantly reducing and that will um, be most pronounced in terms of the market in Auckland. So if you bought a house recently with a 10% deposit or even a 20% deposit, this weakness could be worrying. Uh, Will your equity be wiped out? According to ANZ Chief Economist Sharon Zola, there will be some people who find themselves in a negative equity position, which means that they owe more on the property than it's actually worth. 
However, she says from a macroeconomic point of view, there are now a lot of households who don't have a mortgage at all. Maybe they're renting or they've paid it off. And within the third of households that do have a mortgage, most didn't get it in the last 12 months. So it won't be a, a huge amount of pressure. It's just if you happen to have um, been caught and then you do have to sell. So she says that even if you're one of the relatively small number caught out, you don't have to turn it into an actual loss of money. As long as you can stay put and service the mortgage, before long things will pick up again and the equity will rebuild. Property prices uh, generally go up nicely over time. So you can try and put it out of your mind in the meantime or take the opportunity to try and pay down your loan more quickly to improve your position, which will put you in a better spot for when the recovery comes. And so when prices start uh, rising again or prices will start rising again as incomes grow. So it's not such a major change that people are going to get uh, really badly caught out, but there will be some people where if they have um, taken a mortgage which is really stretched into the limits, will then find it hard to uh, service that mortgage. And that's something which um, a few people may find. And this article as well by Miriam Bell and stuff says the tide has turned Price falls in suburbs nationwide. Now, prices fell in 154 suburbs around the country in the three months to February, with 12 down over 5%. Each of the 154 suburbs had price drops of over 1%, and 94 of them, though, were in Auckland, 19 in Dunedin, 14 in Lower Hutt, 6 in Hamilton, 5 in Kapiti, and 4 in Pararua. So not happening here, but this is an example of how national headlines can make things seem worse for us locally than what they really are. So all of the suburbs with price falls over 5% were in Auckland, uh, and a further 12 suburbs also in Auckland had falls of over 4%. So sometimes this news is very localised to a market, but with the Auckland market being the size that it is, means that um, it has an effect on national figures. They then go through in this article, talk about a number of areas in Auckland that have dropped considerably, but they've also uh, still, it's relative to the increases that they have had uh, reasonably recently. So just moving on here, I'll just find my way to my, my next article. The next article says... How hard is it to sell a house in the current market? So we've moved into a position now where um, people are just not prepared to pay the prices that they have been paying. So buyers get nervous when they read about a downturn in the number of properties selling. There's always the fear of paying too much and it makes them hesitant to sign up for anything. And that's precisely what's happening to the real estate market in the big cities right now. It's happening here in Palmerston North as well, and that people are um, delaying making decisions because they're worried about paying too much. So as per what you find um, in these times is that agents start trying to attract people to open homes um, in order to come along. And so that's where um, people in Auckland have been doing things like hiring musicians to play music as people come through, running barbecues and so forth. So um, the article itself's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it does quote Kelvin Davidson, who's a CoreLogic chief property economist, who says the upswing we've been experienced since the pandemic first hit is now quickly giving way to a sharp slowdown as affordability constraints bites, mortgage interest rates rise and credit availability tightens. Outright falls in property values in some parts of the country could well be on the cards in the coming months. In other words, we now seem to be quickly shifting into a buyer's market. 
I think the main thing that really made the difference was um, the government changing or making it much more difficult for people to lend as much money as they previously could. However, Chen Beard, the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand Chief Executive, says that prices have been holding despite the change in market dynamics, but the number of sales continues to trend downwards, as the fear of overpaying certainly is real. So the if it is a buyer's market, um, or moving into a buyer's market, it's so important to get your pricing right, and that's, that's what happens in these circumstances. So uh, there's always people due to where they are in their life cycles who do need to sell and want to sell. It's just that the the lofty heights of what they've been giving have now changed and uh, you will notice if you're keeping an eye on the property market that properties are being uh, prices are being adjusted downwards um, to meet the market, only downwards compared to where things have been. So um, it really means that things have uh, things have slowed somewhat and um, we'll just see if that continues to do so. In saying that though, uh, Manawatu Wanganui still has a supply and demand issue where there's not enough homes, and so while it has slowed here, um, really if your home is uh, priced um, relatively smartly, it's not overpriced, you're still going to make um, some really good money based on how things have been going uh, in the last few years with regards to house prices. So if you've um, bought... Um, any time in the last few years in this region, apart from probably in the last six months, um, then you're probably going to get um, some very good capital uh, capital gain anyway. And that leads me to another article that's uh, again on stuff that talks about the or, or asks us where are the biggest capital gains or where have the biggest capital gains been this decade, so in the last 10 years. And so realestate.co.nz has released new data showing the change in asking prices for areas around New Zealand since 2012. And that shows that the biggest capital gains of a decade were in the country's smaller centres. For example, Kaurau led the table with a 282% increase to an average asking price of 361. But prices also doubled in 34 other areas in 10 years. The most significant increases in South Wairarapa up 155%, Carterton up 148 Tararua 144 and Central Hawke's Bay 143 so some large changes there. In the South Island, the only places where prices doubled were Central Otago and Dunedin. Realestate.co.nz spokeswoman Vanessa Williams said it was probably due to population and um, in terms of the South Island, it says that larger populations in the North meant there was more demand. So in Auckland, Waitakere, Waiheke and Papakura, they had their average asking price more than double over 10 years. Um, However, and for example, uh, Waitakere and Papakura, average prices 10 years ago, 506 and 480,000, which um, is now uh, doubled to well up over a million. So interestingly, the average asking prices in the regions had increased faster than those, um, say, in central Auckland, for example. So relatively speaking, uh, the regions have done very well in in the last few years, and um, in particular quite close to here in the Manawatu. Manawatu isn't actually mentioned in this article, but uh, we've done very well here also. 
So those capital gains have been good, and that's why if the market comes back a little in the short term, uh, there's not really much, um, I, I believe, to concern us or to cause great concern. So here's an article which then begs the question, where do you look for cheaper houses? And again, this is a, a national article, but we are one of the things that we're spoilt with these days are statistics. And really there's... There are ways to identify regions where cheaper properties are on offer. And a large range of market analyses show prices nationwide have started to fall, including the ones from CoreLogic and Westpac, which um, have looked at those uh, drops of 2% to 2.6% since November. So even if um, prices nationwide drop like how ANZ is predicting, um, there are still definitely some ways to find cheaper properties. So they are suggesting to look in the regions where prices are cheaper or have not risen much. Uh, and there's a property investment company, OP's Partners, and they have a model to help with this. It combines the property cycle model of booms and troughs with median house price information over the last 30 years to calculate whether a region's property is overvalued or undervalued. And it does this by comparing how expensive a region is with the rest of the country and its own historic average. If a region's prices increase faster than the rest of the countries and its own long-term average for a sustained period of time, it may end up overvalued. And if prices increase more slowly over time, a region may end up undervalued. So OP's partner's economist Ed McKnight says the model aims to identify whether a region is more or less expensive than you would expect it to be. It does not mean a region's prices have not increased, and the West Coast is a good example of that, he says. The latest Real Estate Institute figures put the West Coast median price at 346000 in February, which is an annual increase of 17.3%. But the model shows that over the last 30 years, the West Coast median price has been 46% of the national median, he says. So at the moment it's about 36% of the national median, so the West Coast is cheaper than you might expect it to be, and that would suggest there are buying opportunities in the West Coast, for example. But according to the OP's model, Canterbury region is the most undervalued region at 19.8% below what would be expected, and the Marlborough, Nelson, Tasman slash West Coast region is the next most undervalued at minus 10%. Interestingly, according to their model, by contrast, Manutu Wanganui is the most overvalued region at 12% above, followed by Gisborne and Hawke's Bay regions at 11%. So that's interesting. So he says it's not a way to predict future price increases, but it is a way to tell if a region's properties are relatively cheaper or not, and that can be useful for buyers. Gisborne's median price was 715000 in February, while Canterbury's was seven hundred and twenty. Um, however, 715% is expensive for Gisborne, and 720 is cheap for Canterbury. So economist Tony Alexander, who uses a similar comparative model, says when looking at regions on a standalone basis, it is obvious that since the pandemic, prices have gone ballistic everywhere, and our region's certainly an example. But when looking at regions compared to long-term trends in the rest of the country, some regions are currently undervalued. So according to Tony Alexander, they're Taranaki, Canterbury and Queenstown, while the Marlborough, Nelson, Tasman, West Coast region is on trend. So that means that the capacity for price corrections in those areas is milder than elsewhere, but it doesn't mean they'll fall. It means they're at less risk of significant price falls. So even he says that regions such as Hawke's Bay, Wellington, Manawatu, Wanganui and Gisborne have had out-of-this-world price increases and are overvalued, he says. Now remember, we've had increases over 30% in this region for a couple of years. He does say that leaves them more vulnerable to correction, as we're seeing a little bit now, but doesn't tell you what they'll do in future, and that's the important thing. 
so they're vulnerable to a correction but in the future uh, again we've got a lot of people moving to this area so they may continue to hold quite well um, so it's interesting with the modeling and what people predict but it's also important to know what the actual market is doing as well and the fundamentals are supply and demand uh, when uh, demand um, is no longer outstripping supply that's when the prices will, will truly drop uh, in a area so interesting to know whether Canterbury could be a place to to invest uh, and they give some examples here uh, in this particular article on on properties that you can buy um, for around the eight hundred to nine hundred thousand um, dollars in Christchurch, and then again, according to the modelling in this article, those are an area that might go up uh, quite nicely indeed. So, um, so that's a little bit of uh, I, I guess a review of uh, some of the articles that we've had in the past week. This final article is a tenancy-related one. It says, Auckland tenants served eviction notice an hour after reporting flood damage, which is a classic example of landlords doing things the wrong way. So do you remember that we had that real big downpour in Auckland? Well, a father of three was served an eviction notice barely an hour after telling his landlord his rental was damaged in Monday's intense downpour. So Karen Kapoor rang his landlord on Monday and said the property's outdoor unit had sustained some flooding and water damage in the in the storm, he said it was just a courtesy call, not a complaint. But barely an hour later, uh, over email, he'd, he'd been told he had three months to leave as the owners wished to move back in. Now, is it a coincidence? I don't know. That could go to tribunal and they could decide if that's a coincidence or not. So the landlord, uh, Surya Handa, told staff that the eviction notice was not related to the flooding call. He'd been planning to notify Kapoor for weeks about their plans to move into the house. But Kapoor felt he was being bullied out of the house. I'm not sure how much of a serious sort of article this is, really. It sounds a bit like he said, she said. But talk about timing. Uh, one hour within the property being flooded. Because uh, the tenant says when he rang Handa about the flood damage, he was told that if he didn't like the damage, he should leave the property. Uh, the conversation ended abruptly and Kapoor called off for a while. While he rang back after an hour, he was told he was he had been emailed the eviction notice. So that does look pretty bad and I'd say that they'd have a case at tenancy where they wouldn't have to move. Uh, according to Stuff, the letter is missing a few requirements to be a lawful letter. Importantly, it doesn't contain the landlord's signature, which is actually not quite correct. It doesn't have to if it's done by email. Um, but the sudden landlord, uh, the sudden reaction landlord does raise a few questions and really, um, it's uh, they've given the wrong sort of notice, um, and that's where uh, the tenancy, the landlord could actually end a tenancy within sixty-three days uh, notice. So again, it's just cases of people not knowing the law. Maybe it's a reaction. Uh, if the tribunal finds in the favour of the tenants that it was um, the notice was given because of the tenants' um, perceived complaint, they could order up to. $6,500 in damages from the landlords. You do have to be careful uh, that you are following the law. Certainly never react as a landlord hastily without checking first um, how the law stands and likewise uh, for tenants. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been lovely having your company here on Property Matters at npr.nz and you can also find this where all good podcasts are found. I'll be back next week, hopefully less croaky from COVID and I hope you all have recovered by then. And I look forward to catching you next week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. 
For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.